Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Everywhere we go, people want to know. Hello, everyone. My name is Rebecca Kelly, and you're listening to the Everywhere We Go podcast. On this week's episode, I sit down with Alison Murphy. Alison has the most infectious laugh, but behind this laugh lies tragedy. While dancing away to the last song on a night out, Alison's sister Lisa fell to the floor and unfortunately passed away. Alison tells me of her dysfunctional upbringing that led to not only the breakup between husband and wife, but to the broken relationships that will never be mended. She tells me the effect of finding her father's secret children and the impact it has had on her own relationships. She tells me she would be lost without family and friends and how her mother is her biggest support. Alison is a tonic, a warm hug, and as her friends tell me, never whines or complains and just gets on with it. She's been through so much and still can laugh, and what a laugh it is. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where do you come from? I'm Alison and I'm from Airfield. Hey Alison. Hi Rebecca. Nervous? Not at <laughs> yes. So we have a mutual friend in um, common and she reached out to me and I reached out to you. So she told me a little bit about you, but not too much. Okay. So where do you want to start? It depends on what you know. So she said about your mom and dad. And was there a separation there? Yeah, my mom and dad are separated since I was nine months. Okay, God. Yeah, yeah I'm the youngest of four. Um, and my mom had the four of us then by herself and she was under 30 and they split up. So they had, I suppose in hindsight, it was a bit of a strange setup because my dad came to visit us every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And my they never said they were split up. And in the 90s, nobody was really split up. So my mom trying to protect us never said that they were split up and we, you know, we didn't question it. We didn't, ro- you know, we rolled with it. Um, saw him every weekend, as I said. Thought we had, wouldn't have known him very well, but was really familiar with him, was in touch with his side of the family. That was just the way it was for us, you know. So. But what, what was that like? Like, so he, he came <laughs> and did they play like happy families on the weekend? Or? I mean, yeah, like my dad would have dinner the odd time and. You know, looking back on it now as an adult, I think probably it was kind of awkward. There wasn't, it wasn't a very natural, you know, relationship between them. But um, we didn't know that at the time. So, well, certainly I didn't. I mean, my older sister, my eldest sister would have been more aware. 
but I didn't and I didn't question it either. I just thought that's the way it was. And my mom told, I mean, you think of the things you believe as a child. My mom told us that he lived close. He lived in his mother's and my nanny's because it was closer to work. And we live in Airfield and my nanny lives in Harmonstown and he works in town. So it's not like he's doing this long commute, you know, but like that Airfield to Harmonstown is a long trot as a kid. So we just, I never, I really never copped anything. It was odd. I obviously knew he didn't live there, but didn't think they were separated and divorce wasn't a thing when we were growing up. It wasn't legal. Nobody's parents were divorced. So we just went with that. They were still together, but he just didn't live there. He came on Christmas Eve and stayed there every year, which was great because we had him every Christmas morning. And we used to really look forward, well, I used to really look forward to that. I must say that any of this that I'm saying is just me, how I felt, mm. because we were in different stages, all of us, there was four of us. Um, so this is just how I felt, you know, as a kid, I'm, I'm sure my brother and sister would agree that we did look forward to it. And then that kind of fizzled out as we got older. But um, they were good memories, you know, from my childhood really was good memories. There was nothing odd about it. And I think even though in the end, when we go along in the story, it came back with a bang. It was the, the right thing to do at the time because it was protecting us from, you know, people saying things or feeling different. It was always just us and my mom and we just never questioned it. And what kind of mommy was she? Oh, my mom is, my mom is an absolute legend. There's never a bother on her. She's really strong. She keeps the family together. And, you know, she, she's really funny in her own way, but because I'm way too old, I'm back at home now and I'm way too old to be living with her. So we're like a divorced couple, but can't afford to move out. So we have these really petty rows and she had a row with me one night and we were just niggling at each other. And, you know, she got my, my underwear off the radio here and she said, here, take your big knickers with you. They're keeping the heat in. <laughs> And when I, when I caught them, they actually were quite big. So I, I just laughed and went to bed, you know, but she's, she's great. My mom, she's been through a lot and she's, she's old school and she's from a different, I mean, her parents are from the country and they were kind of cold. So my mom doesn't have, you, you know, she wouldn't be an open talker. She wouldn't tell you when something's wrong, which in the result, she's kind of passive aggressive when something is wrong as well. So we're really the opposite that way, but she's great. She's my best support. Really? Yeah, yeah, always. It's probably a bit different because when her parents moved to Dublin, my mom was born here, but they left their eldest daughter behind with their parents in Wexford. Um, and I'm not sure, we don't get a lot of detail about the, the family history, but they were, I suppose, an odd makeup, really an odd upbringing. But I think that's the way it was for a lot of grandparents especially women, they had to have the children where how they felt was irrelevant. Mm. And, you know, my Nana buried two children. So my mom lost a sister and a brother. And I think that probably made my Nana even more standoffish. So things were, were, were odd that way. So then move it on a little bit for me. Tell me then, when do you realise your mom and dad are not together? I was in secondary and... It just, I don't know, I felt really foolish then, you know, for kind of believing in it. And, you know, like I say, it wasn't a big thing. And everybody, we've always lived on the same road, still there. And everybody just knew my mom was there herself. So it was just never a thing. You know, there was no big reaction to it or people. I just realized when I was in secondary, as I say, that they definitely were separated. <laughs> they definitely weren't living together, you know, so. And then did you have that conversation with her? No, no, 
No, we just accepted everything as it was. I mean, even if we would talk amongst ourselves, um, my brother's closest in age to me. You know, we might say things, did you know, did you, you know, but it, we never would talk to my mom. It wasn't, when we were younger, we couldn't talk really openly because it just, the relationship was just different. We just believed what my mom said and you wouldn't really be questioning her. None of us did until we got older and we started talking amongst ourselves. But no, I never said it to her that I thought that I never realized. Is he still in your life? Not anymore. Not anymore. He was, he was in lots of different ways for a long time. But I think the last time I saw my dad was when we, they were getting divorced in court. And I mean, they were separated like I'm 37, I was 34 at the time. So they were separated like 33 years. But like I say, they'd never any need to. It was amicable. They had a, a, a an understanding, you know, and they, they got on well enough. But um, things had fallen really apart by this time between my dad and everybody in the family, really. In what way? He had been, he was really good. Like when my eldest sister passed away, everything was just kind of at the weekends and, you know, your birthdays and whatever and then when my eldest sister passed away he was really good and he was great support to my mom but he had another partner so obviously he had obligations himself um and then he got he got a certain amount of close um to each of us and then there was a bit of backstabbing and stuff and you know just first one sister then my brother and then one by one everybody fell away and he, de- he deserved it really. He wasn't nice to everybody, you know, and he did things that were very hurtful to people. And then in the end, it was just me talking to my dad. But I was really aware at that point that that couldn't continue because my loyalties will always be with my brothers and sisters and my mom. And I didn't know because I kept, you know, kind of defending him going, but he's my dad. He's the only dad I'll ever have. But now in hindsight, I kind of think I wanted something that never was. It was only the only reason, well, I wouldn't say the only reason because I don't know, but he was coming to visit me in my house and he was kind of saying things and he was going, he actually wanted to divorce my mom at that point because he wanted the house sold. But my mom was living in it, you know, and I said, where do you expect her to go? And he, oh, that's my, I have my house, this, that, that. And I said, look, you know, this can't go on, you know. So in the end he had... He'd come to the house. I was only living around the corner from my mom and I had the two kids there and um, he came to the house and I forget now what he actually said, but my mom ended up bringing him and she said, do not be passing messages through Alison. If you want to say anything to me or you want to get to me at all, you know where I am. And that was it. And we didn't see him then till, till court. Can I ask them, did he have another family? He had another family that we didn't know about. So... This all came out after my sister passed away. So what happened was my sister passed away and we would have been, my sister and I, very kind of spirit into the spiritual and mediums and everything like this. And I went to this brilliant medium. I think maybe my sister was, it was within the year anyway, it was fairly raw. And she told me all about my sister and this and that. And she said, oh, and you have a brother. And I said, I do. Yeah. And she said, no, a, a brother in spirit. And I said, no, that's not me. And she said, you do. It's a baby. You need to ask your mom to ask your dad. So I was thinking hardly went home and asked my mom and my mom just said, you need to ask your dad. So I didn't. Again, I was just too afraid. So I said it to my How old sister. Uh, 21. Okay. 21. And I went to my sister, uh, my sister, Emma. 
And I, and she actually said it to my dad and he said, well, yeah, I did have a baby. He, he was still born though. And that was a, he just said, you know, a couple of years ago. So she said to him, you don't have any other children that we should know about. And he said, actually I do. And she was three at the time. So I was 21 and I thought I was the youngest and she was three. So we just didn't know what to do from there, you know, but at the, like I say, at the time we were seeing him a lot and it seemed like nobody, I suppose nobody ever really said it to him at that point. Like we all just forgive him, you know, people make mistakes. We understand the situation you were in and, you know, he, you know, in hindsight, it just was so stressful. But when I had Isabel, I had Isabel about a year later and we had known about the little girl. I won't say her name because it wouldn't be fair mm-hmm. to her. Um, even though she's like, what is she now? 20 odd. Um, so anyway, I had Isabel and we were still, like I had Isabel pretty close after Lisa passed away. And we were still going through the process. There was a court case going on for Lisa's daughter. And then Isabel's um, christening and my dad brought the little girl with them. Obviously never said he was going to bring her or anything. So we were just like flabbergasted, just dumbstruck that he would. I mean, there was nothing against her, but just the way he went about everything was really, really wrong. You know, so that's how we, um, that's how we were introduced. And then it all fell apart. We kept up a relationship, even with her. Now she was a kid, so she would come over. He would bring her over to my mom's house and my mom was really accepting of it. She never minded because she said it's not the child's fault and this and that and the other. But then when all the relationships broke down with me and my family and my dad, I was sad for her because she's an only child. So we still all had each other, but she had been introduced to brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, cousins, and then taken away again. So it was a fallout. And was the fallout over the house. Yeah. And ultimately it was over the house. I mean, there was lots of different things that went on. Um, you know, it was, it, it's the way he was about everything. It's how he went about everything. Like we were, I would like to think we were good enough to kind of, I suppose, accept that he'd made mistakes and the Horta had done, but it was just like, he kept doing it. He kept doing things to hurt us or that did hurt us. And he just didn't care that it did. Like what? He was, for example, let's say he was in a band with my brother and he wanted to kick my brother out of the band, but he rang somebody else who, you know, to tell them this. And there was a three-way conversation that my brother heard. So, you know, that's his only son. You know, it was just the way he did things. He just hurt people over and over. And it was just, he will never change is the thing. He will never change. So it is no good for me to have a relationship with him anymore. It's not worth it to me. And I think even though, yes, he is my dad and he has always been and will always be, my other family have been there for me so much more. And we've been there for one another. He's not really part of that. And like that, we would never, we'd never do that to one another to hurt each other. And we would never do it to him either, to anybody, because my mom didn't raise us that way. So it's just at this point, I often think about it because I still see like his sisters and brothers, you know, if I'm out for a point or wherever they'd be there and it's, it's difficult because they were in a difficult situation as well. And it wasn't their place to ever tell us any of that, but there won't be a relationship there from me and certainly not from my brother and my sister. Again, we've, we've tried, we've definitely tried. And I think, like I said, 
forgiving him when it shouldn't have been our job to, he's the parent. Mm. So it shouldn't have been our job to have to do that on top of everything we were going through already. So. And that's something that Paul said in his podcast. Paul fell out. Paul just cut his dad completely. It was like Mm. his brother was still invested Mm. until the father finally let the brother down and the brother could see see the true colours. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what it is. And my brother and my sister even said to me when they had stopped speaking to him, look, if you want to keep speaking to him, it's your choice. But they were worried. They were like, he's going to hurt you and he's going to let you down. So. And then you said there about everything you've been through. So do you want to tell me about Lisa? Uh, Lisa's my eldest sister. Um, there's two years between all of us. So there's two between my brother and then there's four between me and Emma. And then there's six between uh, Lisa and I. And we were out one Saturday night. It was January and it was Emma's birthday was going to be the Monday. So we're out the Saturday night for Emma's birthday in my club in Swords. And we were having a great night. And we all had boyfriends at the time. And my cousin was there as well with her now husband. And we were, you know, having a great night. And it was coming towards the end of the night. And they said it was last dance. And I said, come on, we have one last dance. And up we went anyway, dancing. And it was really, really hot. It was really small. Um, the harp and swords, I don't know if you've ever been in it, but upstairs and it was really boxy. But anyway, I was dancing away and I felt my sister tip my shoulder. And as I turned, she leaned on me and I brushed her hair out of her face. I thought, what's, what's wrong? So I tried to grab her, but she just fell to the ground kind of slowly because she was a bit heavy. And now the staff and it were great. They were over within seconds. And down they, you know, they lifted her up, brought her down the stairs. And I went with her and they laid her out and they were, you know, pacing up and down and looking. And I was saying, someone do something, you know, what? And they were saying, did she take anything? And I said, no, my sister never took a drug in her life. And we, we didn't even drink that much. And they called one of the other um, barmen over who had training in CPR. And he kept giving it to her until the fire brigade came. And I felt like it was going on for hours. And I was, because I was 20 at the time and I was standing there and I'd forgotten even that everybody else was still inside. They were with us. So then the fire brigade came and they used the defibrillator and stuff. And I was thinking, what's after happening? So they put her into the ambulance. My sister went in the ambulance with her and we all followed on in a taxi straight into the family room. And, you know, I just knew, I knew going into that room that this was, that something was wrong, that something was really, really wrong. And we were there for, like I say, it feels like forever. And they have liaison officer coming in and out with you and everything. I'm going to get you anything. And no, what's the update? So the doctor came in and they said, that machine is working for her heart. It's not beating. And I said, why not? You know, and you know, you ask really stupid questions when you're caught off like that. And they said, we don't know. We're trying, we're running blood tests to see what's happened. So that was grand. And about an hour after that, maybe, or could have been more, the doctor came back in, she closed the door behind her. And I said, she's dead, isn't she? And she said, yeah. And I just knew it. I I just knew before she even said it. And then my sister said, are you joking? And she said, no, she said that there wasn't anything we could do. Her heart wasn't beating by the time she got here. So like I said, we were all there. And then somebody had rang my mom in the meantime. And we were sitting there, you know, just real kind of numb. And the window was to the left of us and we heard the taxi pull up. And my sister's boyfriend at the time went out and so did my sister, my sister who passed away, her boyfriend went out with, with Emma, with my other sister. 
And I heard my mum, no, 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 you know, and I just thought, can't be real, can't be happening. So my mum came in, she was devastated. And then I don't know how or who my dad did turn up. And I'll never forget his face. He was just completely shocked. He just, his face was just looking at my mum. Because I don't know when the last time Lisa would have seen him would have been or what he'd have even been thinking at the time. And then my brother came in and we were there for a while. And then they said, you know what, you want to see her? And there was a door beside us that we didn't, I hadn't even realised was there. So they brought us into the door and there she was. And it was just like, everything changed. It was so surreal because even though you're looking at them, you know, it's not them. It's like, where have you gone? You know, where, where are you? And that was that. And then Emma's, you know, I feel really bad for Emma. She's my other sister and it's her birthday two days later. And it will always be your days, her birthday two days later, you know. But that was like the start of it. Up to that, everything had been pretty normal. Did you get answers? Um, there was nothing anatomically wrong, but they suspected it was cardiac arrhythmia. So that's like, um, it's to do with the electrodes in the heart. It's a difference in your heartbeat. And they said they think it was that, but there's nothing to say that. So that was, you know, kind of felt a bit, a bit fobbed off by that at the time. But I have to say, since that, they they put you in touch with these counsellors and heart people and everything. So then we went under the care of CRY, the call for cardiac risk in the young. And they deal with families who've had sudden deaths like Lisa's. And they've been great. They screen you all the time, every year, make sure you're doing well. And then there's all counselling and everything with them. So they've been fantastic. But they never really, like without the definitive answer, the only thing I can say... <laughs> The only comfort I get in that is because I was there and I know she didn't suffer and I know nobody else was involved and there was no foul play, if you like. There was no drugs or anything. So I know that, you know, a lot of people, I suppose, would think, oh God, that's awful. You were there and it happened right in front of you. But I, that's a comfort to me. It wasn't always, but it is because I know there was nothing else. Do you know? And going back to that night then, can I ask you, I, I I don't know how like in in the moment like you know you said that day that you know that's comforting now yeah but, like getting her down the stairs get, you know the staff working on her mm. it's it definitely I know they say that like in films and stuff it's like slow motion it's definitely like slow motion but it was like like me and my sister were really close we used to work together and everything we both still lived at home. Um, and I just knew I kind of was, you know, I was standing looking and I said, you know, there's no point. I just knew, I knew by looking at her, I felt it. So it was really like afterwards, I didn't realize there was things I forgot, you know, because I mean, with shock maybe or whatever, I don't know. But after she passed away, when she had collapsed, I forgot that she had fallen on my shoulder and I forgot that I couldn't keep her away. I mean, she was tiny anyway, she was like a size six, but just that, you know, the, the dead weight. And then when I went to see her, when she was in the coffin, she had a bruise on her head and I felt so guilty. I felt so bad because I was thinking, God, I, that's my fault. 
but I'd forgotten that. It took a long time to guide you. know what as well? It could have been like, that's your, your little mark is on her forever. <laughs> it could be. You know? But things like that. And the night itself was, if I like forgot about, I came back through dreams and, and every other way, like, because I think you block it out consciously and then your subconscious just keeps reminding you. So that took, that did take a long time. So in that moment when you're in the room, obviously you're dealing with your boy, are you going straight away to your sister, to her boyfriend? Is, is everyone in the room just? Everybody was just, I think, really shocked and just looking and they take, well, I don't know whether you would know that they take out like your jewellery and, and things like that. I know it's where it's rearings, you know, it's really silly things, but they take out, you know, your earrings and then, you know, you could see your bare, or bare feet. Um, and that's all. And then at some point there was a guard that just asked me, was that Lisa? And I said, yeah, my sister. And I think because it happened in a public place, there needs to be some sort of record. I don't know, but it's like people just kept turning up. My uncle turned up. My sister's sister-in-law was there. And I don't know how anybody got in touch with anybody else. I wasn't aware. Um, but you're, yeah, because we needed to get a lift home from the hospital because the, the taxi had brought us. So, yeah. And then after that, then does it bring the family closer? Does it bring your dad closer or? It, yeah, it definitely brought. So me and my sister Emmett, like now we're super mega close. Um, you know, we've grown up kind of to be more similar to each other than we were then. I definitely think it, it does bring the family closer because you spend just so much time together and you're a lot more uh, vulnerable. You're a lot more raw with your family then than you would have. You never had need to tell them. I'm devastated. You never were before. You've never been brokenhearted and you're all brokenhearted together. So that creates something in itself, a strength in a family. Hopefully everybody else has that experience because I know for some families it can tear them apart, but thank God for my family, it didn't. Um, and then you're trying to look after your mom as well, because I know she was my sister and, you know, that's devastating, but that's my mom's child. It's her oldest child, it's her first child. So you're kind of all pulling together for each other and, and definitely for my mom as well. And then Lisa had a little girl. She lived with us as well. So. How old was she? She was five then. Oh God. Um, yeah. And she's again, like she's, she's a wagon now, like, but, um, so, uh, she was staying with us. She was, li- the, Lisa was living there with her, like, so she was staying with us and that had to be kind of, she did be looked after as well and practical things, you know, we'd bring her to school and she couldn't stay home forever. But before that, talk to me, take me back a little bit, just who goes home and tells Chloe and. Well, my mom told her. And Lisa and Chloe had the shared a bedroom. They had two separate beds. And my mum told her and she ran up to say, no, no, no. And like hopped onto her mum's bed and was just crying. Um, and, at the, you know, she doesn't really remember a lot of it, which is a blessing because, you know, who needs that as their childhood? So she doesn't remember a whole lot of it. And actually, you know, it's Chloe gave obviously my mum a lot of strength in it because that was my mum's job. Um. And then three weeks after Lisa passed away, Chloe's dad went for custody. And that was just, again, for my parents, like especially for my mum, it was awful because they'd no time to grieve. They were sucked straight into a court case. And that was then another thing that that took off and kind of got legs that went on for 
until Chloe was 12. How, how do you even deal with that? We can't, I think my mum wasn't altogether shocked, um, but definitely shocked at how quickly it happened. Um, and, you know, we, ne- we never got on with her dad and, and she we didn't, she wasn't with them when she found out she was pregnant either. They got back together afterwards um, to try and make a go of it, but it, it, it really didn't work. So it was just, it was so difficult. And you're, you know, there's all the, as I say, the practical things, there's, you know, you have to close bank accounts and you have to get the, the grey ready and you have to pay for this and that. And then there's the court case and then there's, there's the, the child. So it was just, everything just whipped up real quick and didn't settle for a really long time but I never it was kind of like we were nearly afraid to ask at the time how my mom was and how we just kept going it was just one foot in front of the other and just keep going and you know time goes by that way but it wasn't as if we could kind of I mean obviously we called him every name one of the son and you know couldn't understand why now and why not have a conversation with us about it and whatever else. And we didn't think it was the right thing for Chloe either because she had always lived with my mum and us. And we were saying, you know, she's just lost her mum. Why would you want to take her from her home? Um, but look, that's the way he, he wanted it. And maybe he thought it was the best for her. But ultimately after years and years of courts and appeals and courts, um, when she was 12, she went to live with him. But we kept up like I have a really good relationship with her. Like I say, she's a wagon. But you know, we're, we're close now, but I'm really glad she doesn't remember all that because I wouldn't like that to be anyone's memories of, of growing up or, you know, tension or the hurt because that's the worst time in, in my life and my mom's and all my family's life. And I would hate for that to be her first impression of life. I'm glad she doesn't remember it. And how old were you when this was happening to say to me? I was 20. So Lisa passed away in the January and then I turned 21 in the September. So young and then your mom is, is only young though as well, isn't she? Yeah, my mom, my mom is, she was 29 having me. So she's 66. So she was 49 maybe at the time. So she was really young. And I know you never think your mom is young. Mm. But uh, yeah, no, she was. It, she was. And to have all of that, like she has to look after you, look after Chloe. And then all of a sudden Chloe is being like her daughter's ripped up whipped yeah. away from her and then she's you know the prospect of Chloe being ripped away from her yeah. and then all that then through all that then is your dad on the scene yeah yeah he was really good at the time and like I say he was a good support I mean my brother and sister I didn't go back to work because I worked with Lisa and I just couldn't because everyone knew we were sisters we were working as dental nurses and I just I couldn't face it and at the time there was no like everything was handwritten so I said I can't see our handwriting everywhere I just wasn't able so I didn't go back to work for a while. I got a different job then, but everything has to go back to normal at some stage. So my dad was really good for when things did start to sell. He did visit a lot. And then when the court case came in as a, as luck or whatever would have it, Chloe's dad named my dad as a co-respondent, which he didn't have to, which mean that he was entitled to be there for everything because um, family court is in Cameron. So it's only the two people named. So it would only be who's brought the court case and who they've brought to, but he brought it to the two of them. Okay. So that means that he had to be there and that's, that's the way that played out. So she had support there, but it went on and it was constant. What is, so explain, can you explain the process for anyone who, who doesn't know or is probably about to go through it for one way or another? 
Well, he went to his solicitor and, and filed a motion to, to gain full custody. Um, they had been in court and they had joint custody and joint guardianship and he wanted everything then. So they had to go to court. So does a letter land on your man's door or does he knock yeah, on the door? Yeah, just a letter came. Wow. But we knew it was solicitor, uh, excuse me, solicitor's letter because you had to sign first. Right. Um, so like I say, it was a lot quicker than expected, but we knew what it was when it came. And then we had to go and find a solicitor and tell them this is what's after happening. And then they start building up the case and they look at the circumstances. And it, it really, a lot of the time, it depends on the judge. First judge they came across, her name was Judge Lenan, and I think she's in the circuit court now, but she was raging with him. She said, you know, how could you bring these people before me? And they've just buried their child. Now, by the time they actually went to court, I think the first appearance was in the first couple of months, so maybe two or three months down the line, which is still really raw. And then she said, I don't want to hear anything from anybody for two months, let's say. So she'll put it on the back burner. And in the meantime, the solicitors are gathering this and that and the other. And I can't, I actually can't remember how many court appearances there was, but went into the tens of thousands in bills and went on till she was 12. And ultimately she decided then she wanted to live with her dad. And are you sitting Chloe down at five, six, seven, eight and explaining that this is what's happening or? No, because, you know, we felt that she had been through enough. Now she got a sense of it because, you know, it was real. They were so on the other side. Our perspective was that they were so tactile they were so like everything was tactics she thought it was wonderful and they spoiled her over there whereas when she they went she went there on a Saturday night and she had to do the Monday to Friday the school work with us so you know you're up you're up against the losing battle there anyway and as I say she he is her dad so we just didn't feel it would be in her interest because him and his wife both worked full time and we were like who's even going to look after her? who's going to she's going to have to change school you know we were thinking the bigger picture but we never said anything to her. And then as she was older, she started to become more aware by the time she was in secondary, she, she knew what was happening. Um, and she knows now a bit about what went on, but like I say, she doesn't remember an awful lot of it. And then at what point then does things start to go wrong with your dad? Well, I don't know now if they divorced like four years, I must've been about seven years ago, actually seven, eight years ago. That's when things, I mean, things were kind of, I suppose, really, you know, he, he, my dad was never great. And then he was really good at a time. And then he went back to being not great again. It wasn't that he was ever, you know, so sturdy or reliable or anything like that. But it, it did start to kind of fall apart. Um, but it finished, like I say, seven, eight years ago. And the last time I saw him was in divorce, divorce court, in divorce court and they went back into the judge. The judge makes a decision what way she's going to divide things up. And I said, I'll, I'll go to the bathroom. And I walked out the bathroom and right past, I mean, literally my shoulder touched his and I thought, oh, fuck. But I didn't say anything and neither did he. You know, he never said anything. And I just, heart was broke all over again. Like he could have said something. I was on my own. So does that devastate you? Yeah, it did. And that was really it for me. Because I was like, he, he could have said, and I would be always open. I'm always open. Um, or would have been anyway. Because we never had a fallout as such. We just, it just dwindled when he started looking for the house. He just stopped coming around. And 
but there was never any words said or anything. But at that point, he, you know, th- that's when I really said, no, this is, you know, and he doesn't care. You know, that's what I thought. I just thought if that was my child, I couldn't walk past my child, you know, so that's so, how it went. So as a daughter, that's what you're experiencing. But as a woman, mm. going forward with your life, what does that do to you? Um, I'd like to say, <laughs> you know, I'm terrible at relationships. I'm really bad at them. Um, I go for all I couldn't even tell you. I mean, the girls would laugh if I told you some of the stories, but um, I'm just not good at them and I'm not a good judge of character with men. And I avo- <laughs> so I avoid them because if I'm not good at them, why, why keep putting myself through it? You know what I mean? And obviously I have kids now, so, but I'm quite content. It's not something I think about ever, you know, um, if it happened, if I met somebody tomorrow, I probably wouldn't be bothered. But I think that's because I know how bad I am at them. You know, you can be really settled. And I was really settled. I was engaged before to my son's dad. So and tell me about the children. Talk to me about the children. Oh, well, Isabel is 15 and I met her dad shortly after Lisa passed away. And I was pregnant really soon. And at the time... Even at the time, I was really glad because it just took me out of that. It took me out of the sadness in my house all the time. So she came along and I just absolutely adored her. And she's beautiful and she still is. Um, But I I got postnatal depression and I struggled then from kind of that point with depression in general and anxiety. And it just, it's the type of thing depression that you don't really see it until you're, you're you're quite sick and I remember my sister coming down I was living in Mead at the time with her dad and my sister saying you're not well and I I sent her off with flea in her ears said, don't come into my house and tell me you know blah 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 I'm not well but I really wasn't in what way I was very depressed and I felt with I felt with Isabel that like I didn't deserve to have her and that just, that, that feeling just kept growing. I just didn't deserve to have her and I didn't want anyone else to have her either. I wouldn't leave her with anybody. And I was real possessive with her, but I still didn't think anything was enough. Why do you, why do you think you were like that? I don't know. It just affects you in different ways. I had postnatal depression on Luca then as well when I had him and it was totally the opposite. I'd look at him and I'd look at his dad and his dad doted on him terrible. You know, he looked at him really with love in his eyes and I was thinking, what's he looking at? You know, I just, I didn't get it. And I, I was overwhelmed with that feeling with Isabel. And then the next time around, it was completely the opposite. So. So when did the relationship with Isabel's dad break down? We were never right for each other. You know, I felt pregnant really quickly and we were never right. I'll never, you know, be sorry or anything like that. But I think it was before she was even two. It wasn't right. I knew it wasn't. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Right. Um, like I say, we weren't on the same page. And he said something to me when I was pregnant. He said, I'm worried when you have the baby, you're going to go back out with your friends when you get your figure back. And from then... I just thought this isn't for me. This isn't something I would ever think. And it's it's not something I think is right. It was a red flag. So from then I just was really weary and it just, it never settled. We were never kind of content together. Um, so that broke up when she was two, just before she was two for good. We, I mean, we were on and off, but before she was two, I was only 24. And you were living in Mead by with him? Yeah. Well, only in Stamullen now, not, yeah. not yeah. the back of and nowhere. Mm. And uh my friend Kira was after moving into Balbriggan with her family, her son and her, her um, partner. And I thought it was great having a pal, but sure, I couldn't go to her house in peace. And he'd be ringing and texting, and who's there? And who's there? And then the next day, who did you say was there? And he, you know, really, really a problem for it was a problem for me. And I really thought he couldn't help it because he'd say, "I can't help worrying." You know, his friends were there. Some other fellow was there, and I'd be like, "What are you talking about?" be together me and her skull and wine you know that'd be that but was he older than you yeah I've never been with anyone my own age really he's eight years older than me and Luca's dad is 10 years older than me why do you think that is it'd be cliche to say daddy issues but that's probably what it is you know it probably is that simple so do you think then with Lisa's, so Lisa's that then you find this security in an older man, get pregnant, then the possessiveness starts mm -hmm. and you realise, shit. Yeah, I just realised this isn't going to be a long term thing. I knew it. But at the same time, you're kind of thinking, but I have a baby, you know, and I don't want to be on my own. Um, And then my family's going through enough. I don't want to go back home with a baby, you know, so. Did you think that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they never said it ever. My family wouldn't be a bit like that, but I felt it, you know, and I thought I just, I want to do it on my own. No, but it was my mom that said it to me. She's like, you're not happy. Just come home. And I was no the house is lovely and this and that. And she's, you know, in hindsight, I was very young as well. Like I was 22. What did I know? Um, but no. And then in the end, 
you know, she was glad to have me back home because at least she knew then I was well. So you're suffering from your depression. You're in a possessive relationship, which is fair, fair to say. But you get out of it. So what would you say to anyone in that moment that's right now probably listening to this in that situation? Listen to your go, for sure. You know when you know and it's no good saying, well, maybe, well, maybe. And the fact is, you know, people care and people are kind and it it's not all about judgment. We really fear being judged. I'm going to be judged now. I have a baby by myself. And then when it happened with Luca, I had two kids by two dads and I'm still by myself. Oh, Jesus Christ. But that's just not how, that's how you feel about yourself. That's not how people feel. But definitely listen to your gut and generally reach out to your friend. Like my friends knew, my friend Kieran knew, because as I say it, at Isabel's christening, my dad turned up with a little one. I mean, Isabel's dad had a major row when I was in tears in the bathroom and she just knew, she was like, this isn't good. This isn't the way it is. You know, this is not the way relationships are supposed to be. So if you have a feeling, chances are someone close to you also has a feeling that it's not right. Why do you think, and I would think of this, why... Why do we fear the judgment? It's well, I know with me, it's like constant. Is it? Well, I, in certain aspects, like Leanne would probably tell you, our mutual friend, she's like, you're at a dangerous level of not giving a fuck what people think. And that's true to a point, you know, when it comes to my kids and stuff, because they're so important and I don't want to let them down. And I don't want what people think of me to reflect on them. That's all it is. I mean, I really don't care. And a night out, I'm your worst nightmare because I'm a disaster. Um, for the most part, I don't care. But the judgment thing, I think, is just always there. For me, anyway, it's just always, I don't want it to reflect onto my kids. It's whatever about me, I don't care. I just don't want it to affect them. And then how old was Isabel when you left? She was two when I went back home. And then shortly after that, I met um, Luca's dad. And... We had, we got on really well. You know, we had, we had a good relationship and we were together. We were together about three years when Luca was born. And then we were together about six and a half years. So when Luca was just gone three, when we split up. And yeah, there was, there was nothing remarkable. I think that was probably one of the most steadiest times (laughs) since my sister passed away that I had was then. Things were kind of quiet then. And what made you split up from him? You met someone else. Then things weren't quiet anymore. So that was just before I turned 30. And I remember my tour, <laughs> my tour kid was the most depressing party in the world. I felt awful. I was so low. And, you know, the girls were trying to make a big, of course, trying to make a big fuss. And, oh, you know, they turned around. I said, geez, I'm 30. I'm on my own. I have two kids with two dads. He's joking, you know. I thought it was awful. Now, obviously now in hindsight, I don't think I'd feel that way if I was to live my life again. It's just then it felt like another failure. It felt like something else gone wrong. And can I ask you about the relationship? Can we talk about that breaking down and how you yeah, sure. pull yourself out of that? Because I think a lot of women are going through that. So what happened to, for you? To, how did you find out? Well, it was kind of, we, were, we weren't we were getting on. 
but it wasn't anything I thought was unnatural or abnormal. I just thought we're together a while and we're living together. We're just not getting on. But then I noticed he did start acting a bit odd, you know, kind of he would walk out of a room when I walked in and, you know, he'd go up to bed really early and I'd be thinking that and I'd go up to bed really early and he'd get back up, you know, this type of behavior. And I was thinking, oh, but I said it to my mom as you do. And she said, I'll somebody, anybody else. And I said, no, you know, like I said, where would he meet them? Because we drank in the same pub. We, he worked, blah, blah. We had the same circle of friends. <laughs> no. So anyway, I came to head one Friday and he used to work from like 6am to maybe 4. So he came home from work, went straight up to bed for a nap. So I put Luca to bed, half seven, whatever. And, you know, kind of was getting ready for the evening, settling down. And he gets up into the shower and he's getting dressed to go to the pub. And he hadn't spent any time Luke at all when he came in from work that particular day. And I just said, I have had it with this. I don't know what's going on. You're going, I want you out. Like, I, if you're not going to tell me, if we're not going to talk about it, you know, it's one thing, you know, kind of ignoring me. I said, but I'm not having you in bed. And then, but, but not tired, too tired to go to the pub. So that was it. That was that weekend. And that was a Friday. And then the following Wednesday, as it would happen, his phone bill came and I said, I don't, I didn't even want to, but I just knew I had to, I opened it and it was itemized at the time. And the second, my number was the most texted and called. And the second was this other number. And I said, geez, I can't, I can't. So I, I gave it to my sister and she rang and girl answered the phone and, and she told her. And the girl seemingly said, oh, he said he was had a child, but they've split up. And Emma said, well, they have now, but they hadn't. But, um, you know, I, I never, it's not the, that girl. I don't know what he told her. And even if she did know that he was in a relationship, it's not her that broke my heart. It's him. So. And did he break your heart? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I really, really was devastated. And I remember, I remember waking up crying. Before I'd even had a paw, I was upset and I rang my mom and I said, when is this going to end? You know, when am I going to just not care? You think you'll never get there. It's horrible because you think you'll never get there. And then it, it really hurts when you, you know they're out and they're like over it. And then you're like, did it mean anything to that? You know, is it just me? But eventually you do. Eventually you wake up and it's not the first thing on your mind. It might be the second but it's not the first. And then a couple of days, it's the fourth. And then a couple of days, it definitely takes time, but it definitely does happen when you kind of least expect it. Now I did, you know, my friends were really good. They all rallied round and, you know, I had nights out and my family were really good, but it's just, that doesn't heal you. That just distracts you. It's the time that'll do that for you. And eventually everybody gets there. And is it a kick to the teeth? Like, is it? Oh yeah. It's actually like a physical kick in the stomach. I remember, I, I can still feel it now when I think about it, especially when I opened the bill and I saw the, the number and I just thought, bollocks. And that was the, the Tuesday you said, was it? That was the Wednesday after. You kicked him out? Yeah. And where did he go? I think he went to his mom's. Now his mom's lovely. His mom really lovely and she was the first person I rang. I said, you're never going to believe this plan. She was so sorry, she I'm so, so sorry. And did you have it out with him? Um, he never admitted to it. I did bring it up with him and I said, I know about what's her name. And he was like, we're not together anymore. That has nothing. And I was like, the fuck? You know, I was hysterical. I said, I'm holding the bill for the last month and her number's on it. 
and you were living here. So how are you going to tell me it's not? But he just hung up the phone on me. He just wouldn't face it. I have a friend and her partner left her for another woman. But she never asked him to stay when he said he was gone. Mm. She just let him go and she never asked him to stay. And I wonder whether she regrets that, you know, asking him to stay. Like, you know what I mean? I think, I think it's a different, like physically if they go or not, but emotionally they're already gone if they've met somebody else. Because, well, like I hadn't, your friend obviously hadn't. So if you had said, you know, stay, maybe we're working it or whatever. I know from, from my, I know what I'm like. I would have had a few glasses of wine and punched the head off him every time I thought about it. So I wasn't, I wasn't putting myself through that either or him, you know, it, it just wouldn't, it's no way to spend your life either. So as much as I say, well, I wouldn't take him back and this and that. I totally get why people do, but just for me, I couldn't because I would just always be bringing it up and that's the two of us being miserable. I wonder if it's easier that they do go. It's horrible in the beginning because they're gone. They're out and like... You know, I have a friend going through, well, it's a while ago now, but she went through a breakup and she passed She said, every time I pass them by or see them, she goes, I just think, fuck the two years because he moved on so quick. And she's like, how, how did they do that? So it's horrible because they're coming to the door to collect Luca, in my case, in new clothes and everything else. And you're thinking, are you like, you know, you wouldn't have had a wash in about six weeks because <laughs> you're feeling so sorry for yourself. And you're like... Are you for real? You know, it's, it's um, like, I remember cleaning the kids room and picking up Isabel's little pants and being so upset. I was blowing my nose with, and I just couldn't pull myself back. And now it, it, like I said, time is a great healer and it does. Now I can nearly, nearly kind of laugh about it, but it's very hard. It's very tough and it takes time and you're allowed to feel shit about it. You're grieving the loss of something. And for me, I felt really resentful of him. I was like, we were going to raise our children together. We had plans and you've changed their life as we had planned it. it you know, nobody got a say. You just went out and did that for yourself. So yeah, fuck you. I wonder if it's just men who go off. Like, I don't know. It, like every relationship I've been in, I think I let them break up with me like, because <laughs> I didn't want to break up with them. Like, you know, I think, I don't know. Do, is it, do you think it's just men that just move on so quickly? I think if it definitely feels that way. It definitely feels that way. Um, and I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm biased because I'm a woman, but I look at couples and it's like stunning girls, but not so stunning guys. And I'm thinking, where's, where's the equality in that? You know, there's, it's not, I think men always have a different, they always have nearly somewhere else to be. Whereas women don't think like that. Men always think on a fallback and, and if this happens and this and whatever. I don't think women think like that. It's FOMO. Mm, I think so. Or is it, you know, one foot, you have one foot in and one foot out. It's like you're always on the lookout. Are you always going to be kind of unsettled? You know, because it's great to be content and be happy. Well, what happens when you're content and happy and he's going to the pub three times a week? Is that what that means? It's a real fine line because you don't want to be the nagging wife. Nobody wants to be that. But then obviously, what are they looking for? I remember my auntie said to me one time, there is nothing out there at four o'clock in the morning for a married man. What trouble? And it always stuck with me. And she said, fine, have the few points. Like I, like myself, I love my few points. Jipper and home. She said, when it goes one, two, three, four. 
Shit, that is bad news. I'm sure it goes for women as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, definitely, I think it goes for men. More so, no, I know um, from Ian, we have a few men followers and men listeners. Um, so it's probably all Christmas right now. Um, <laughs> Unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah, immediately. Um, but it is, it's just a wonder that I always have when I do see or hear stories that men have gone off. Like I never hear a story of a woman going off or yeah. like a woman is split up and a woman going on so quickly. Yeah. Actually, I have heard one. Yeah, probably have heard one. Um, I think the ratio was definitely... In the men's favour though, is it not? Yeah. I mean, even if you do acknowledge women do it, not a, at the rate that men do it. And another thing, men don't, I find, they won't be by themselves. Women are quite happy. Like, you know, if you get to 70, 80 and you, mm-hmm. you know, Jennings funeral home's calling. If the man goes first, the woman seems to be fine having her own life. And then the woman goes first, the man is dating your one that he met at bingo. Yeah. Do you know, like it, they just don't seem to be okay being by themselves. Isn't it, do you know the um, saying, a happy release? Do you know what happy release is? No. Uh, my husband didn't know what a happy release was either. <laughs> Does he now? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's not. So a happy release is um, when some, but mainly when a man dies. And my mother would say, I sure that's a happy release for her. Mm. Because he's gone and now she can live her life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's terrible because I said to Paul, when I don't think I was having a row with him last year. And I said, you know what, when you go, it'll be a happy release for me. <laughs> Why do we turn into our man? Like, like, what is that about? Like, and I said to him, um, and Paul was like, a happy release. And he, and he thought it was something like, you know, he was going to have a good night or something, you know. But <laughs> I, I didn't know where you were going. <laughs> a lot of people, but it's a happy release. And I said to his mom, do you know what happy? And she said, yeah, of course I do. It's when it's in the olden, maybe in the olden times of like your your mom and your nannies, like, you know, if Anne happens to the man and they say, well, that was a happy release because he was a pig or he was yeah, a bastard. Yeah. So that's what it is. So maybe you got a happy release in terms of him going and leaving you <laughs> off. Do you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. I've had some good time since for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't imagine it being any other way than it is. You know, everyone will tell you that, you know, you can't imagine it being any other way than it is now. And then is he still with her? No. Okay. No, he's in another relationship now. And do you get the feeling that like when you're seeing him off with, with the girl or whoever it was, that you're like, look at him, as you said, with their new clothes. and Yeah. And you're like, but he wouldn't bring me to the cinema. Yeah, it, it definitely, there are definitely is similarities in everyone's story. You know, I don't know whether, I suppose, like, I don't know. We always went to the same pub and the same this and the same that. Um, and I'd never worry he'd be overly good to anybody else. But yeah, there is, there is all that nearly jealousy. Like there they are, they're going away. They're going off again. They're you know, it, I think that's natural to feel. And then, the, you know, the time will always come that you'll get your own back or you'll move on. And you'll just be like, I really don't care. And um, where did he meet her? Did you find out where he met her? No, he had started. You see, now you don't have to go anywhere because you only have your phone. Mm. So he started going to town a couple of times to a particular bar. And I'd say he met her in there, but I'd say he met, arranged to meet her in there. Right. Um, I wouldn't say, I'd say it was like set up because all the texts and stuff, I thought they've met somewhere you know, online and exchanged numbers. Um, yeah. And like I say, now you don't have to go anywhere to meet anybody. You can just pick up the phone. So that was kind of the beginning of all that. Isn't that scary? Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's only scary for certain people. It's only scary if you're the type to do it. 
you know, it's not scary for people that don't want to see what's out there. But like you say, like looking in the club, when you're in a club, it's exactly what it's like. And then obviously, uh, Luca was young, but how do you explain that to Isabel? Isabel was, I think she was seven. And it's funny, like now she doesn't have any time for Luca's dad at all. And I just said that we kept fighting and that we we decided not to be together anymore. Thankfully, because I stayed in the house, not too much changed for them. I mean, if I had to leave and everything, it would have been different. And it's much more difficult for anybody who has to leave somebody and actually physically take the kids and everything that that's harder. But um, not too much changed. I mean, you know, I used to take them to school, do the dinners, everything else, and none of that changed. So she didn't really bat an eyelid. (laughs) She didn't mind. Um, which it was just the three of us then it's still just the three of us now with my mum Luca and Isabel do they still have their fathers in their life? Yeah they both go every weekend and I'm on really good terms with them Um, yeah it's all worked out the way it was supposed to I suppose I'm really lucky with them it's not obviously for some people ideal but you know I wouldn't change it they're really good dads and the kids love them What was it like in the first time letting them go? Well, Isabel went first and I used to work. I used to, in a different life, be a hairdresser. And so he would take her while I was in work. And then I'd be too tired when I came home. Like Saturday and hairdressers can be mental. So I didn't really mind. Um, yeah, I just got used to it. And with Luca, was it different because he'd left? No, it was different because I was alone when he went. Because Isabel would be gone with her dad and then Luca would go his and then I was on my own house. I used to just go out walking and stuff because I didn't like the the emptiness of the house with no kids. It's so unnatural when you have them than to just not have them. So how do you deal with that? I went out walking and then I don't know, like it kind of took a long time to get into the routine and I had to stick with it. My mum was saying, start as you mean to go on, you know, so that's how it's, it came to be. But I remember, you know, when we weren't split up that long and Luca was vomiting during the night. And my third or fourth time being woken up by him crying, I was coarse instead. I said, I'm to bet you he's asleep in his bed and I've stripped the bed and washed it again. And, you know, not that you resent it, but that's, I think, hardens you a bit to it. And you're like, no, you can take them now for the night. I'm knackered. You know, I'm knackered having them. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's really healthy. And like my mom always said, you know, when boys come to 15, 16, they're going to be having points with their dad regardless. You know, boys love their dad. So... With that in mind, you know, I wouldn't run the dads down or anything like that at all. And I don't have any need to. They're really good to them. They're good to me when I needed to. Um, Leanne's always slagging me about Luca's dad because uh, he's gone through this um, long blonde hair phase. And uh, yeah, it mortified, like even football and stuff. I'm like, do not stand beside me. <laughs> but um yeah, so she was when I when I wasn't well. She was in the hospital with him as well, and she was like, "He's really emotional." I said, "You know, he's crying because he thinks that I'm never going to get out here, and he's going to be left with the kid. That's the end of his life." <laughs> but um, no, it's, it's all worked out really well. And tell me what you were in hospital for. Uh, I woke up one day and I had I double vision, and I thought, "Well, that's really weird," but I didn't feel bad, and. It was a Thursday and I was, I had arranged to meet my aunt 
for a coffee. My aunt is, is 80, but I um, try and see them as much as I can. And I'd arranged to meet her for a coffee, but I had the double vision. So by the time the kids got to school and everything else, my mom was up and I said, I'm not going to be able to drive. Can you drive and come with me? And she said, yeah. So by the time we started driving, I started developing a headache. And I said, go to the chemist. I'm going to tell them I'm getting a migraine because I know migraine sometimes it affects your vision. Got the tablets, made no difference. Without the pavilion and I was still adamant. No, I'm fine. I'm grand. I'm grand. Mum was saying, you look a little bit pale, you know, I said, I'm fine. So I went up. Anyway, she sat down and so did my aunt and they said they'd have two coffees. And I went up and I said two coffees. And when the girl put them on the counter, I looked down, I said, are they all for me? I only wanted two. And she said, there is only two. And I said, oh, God, sorry, like it's just a joke. But picked up the copies, went back and my mom said, Alison. And I was like, what? And she had your eye. My eye had completely turned in my right eye, but I was still just seeing double. So I didn't notice any difference. So I went home. Mom said, you're going to have to go to the hospital. And I said, not at all. I'll go, you know, I'll sleep in a dark room and blah, blah, blah. So eventually nothing worked and I started the headache starting to get kind of bad. So I went to the doctor. That's the furthest I'd go. And she said, straight to Bowmount. I don't know what's going on. So went to Bowmount and had a lumbar puncture and they're really good in Bowmount. Like once you get there and yeah, I got admitted then on the Thursday night and the Friday then I woke up and I, what did I wake up first? I woke up first and I couldn't balance. I couldn't really walk and my left side was kind of tingling and I was on the Nora ward and I said, I'm after having a stroke. I said, I, I think I'm after having a stroke. And because everybody else in the ward had had a stroke, I couldn't, at that point, my head was so sore. I actually couldn't lift my head off the pillow. So I was just lying there and they didn't know what happened. And they were sending me for all, you know, echoes and ECGs and MRIs and CAT scans and everything. And they said, no, nothing is showing up and we'll do another lumbar puncture. And so I said, geez, another one because they get kind of sore. Anyway, that was that. Saturday in Bowmount, everybody goes home. So I woke up on Saturday and I couldn't get my words out. I couldn't speak. And my family were going mad now at this point. They said something is really wrong. You have to be something, you know, there has to be something showing and my sister-in-law and everything, she kept ringing the ward. She said she needs another CAT scan, another MRI. She's something's wrong. They said she's not having a stroke. So that was the Saturday. And on the Monday, the head, the head neurosurgeon came down. And because it was something they couldn't put their finger on, I got great attention that way because it was really rare. But they treated me, they diagnosed me with this thing called Miller-Fisher syndrome. I had had tonsillitis two weeks, the week before. And Miller-Fisher syndrome is like when you have a virus and instead of attacking the virus, your body attacks your body. So it turned out my body, my body started to attack my brain, the bottom of my brain. And it was severing the nerves and that's why I couldn't feel the left-hand side and I couldn't see and that's why the speech wasn't coming or anything. So they said the treatment for that is five days IGIV. So it's red blood cells and it takes about three hours every day. It's like kind of dialysis. They said one of the risks with that is that you'll have a stroke with it, but it was getting progressively worse. So I, I said, yeah, OK, I haven't got a choice. So that was Monday. And then by the Friday, my speech was getting back to a little bit. And, um, you know, I got a little bit better. Now, they, I, they were great in, in Bowman. They really were. But the following Friday then, so two weeks and a day, I discharged myself, came home. Now, at that point, I still had torn in my eye. I still had double vision. And they said that wasn't guaranteed to ever why did you start yourself? Because I'd finished all my, I really miss my kids is the answer to that, I suppose. But I'd finished all my, you know, the IGIV was done. They didn't feel 
there was any benefit to doing another one. So what I was left with was nerve damage. And they said nerves sometimes repair themselves and sometimes don't. And there's no way of telling. So I was just happy to be walking and talking at that point. Now I couldn't walk by myself. I had to link somebody um, and my eye was still turned in. So I had to wear this like patch kind of thing on my glasses. Um, so I was attractive <laughs> and I obviously wasn't driving or anything then. Mm. So I went home and they said, oh, you, you know, they wanted me to stay in another week at least. I somehow, I'm here two weeks. I was really losing my mind. I said, I, I can't, I'm too depressed to stay here. I'm going home. So I still had to see I, a million appointments when I left, but thank God it did all come back eventually. It did take a really long time. That was in April and I didn't start driving again then until August. So it took a long time to come back, but I was lucky it came back at all because none of that was ever guaranteed. But it seemingly you'd actually have more of a chance of winning the lot than catching this, this thing. So I wasn't uh, sorry to see the back of moment. And will it come back? Because you've had it once, because it's so rare that you've had it at all, there is a chance that it will come back again. So I'm always really conscious if I get, especially now with COVID and everything, like if I get an infection, what way my body's going to react to that infection? I'm a little bit self-conscious of that. Um, but hopefully not. I don't think so. Not unless I get a really bad infection. And again, it's the same thing. And then we said, you said earlier on then about failures. Do you think that, like, at what point do you realise that you haven't failed? I think, you know, it. it's really hard. Like, it is hard to accept sometimes that sometimes you do fail and that's fine, you know. But I think the more you look into different relationships and I love, I love people and I love different types of lives and I see the lives people have and the choices and the decisions and I'd never judge them for that. So I don't know why I turn it back on myself. So definitely my friends and my family would have always been really supportive, but it's until really I, f- I found other people in my situation and then other people that have been through different situations and how they coped with it and just thought, you know what, you do the best with what you have at the time. And you cannot look back and keep thinking, why did I do that? And why did, cannot do that? The past is gone, leave it there. You know, nothing changes if nothing changes. So if you see it and you, you're, you'll do it a different way the next time, that's good enough keep moving forward is how I think of it. How long did it take you to get there? Well, I'm 37 now. So definitely 37. I mean, you know, I try, I definitely try and be kind of positive and not dwell on the negative. It's great to acknowledge it, but you cannot, you know, because I, I often, I always think my sister would give anything to be where I am today, anything to be here, regardless of how bad a day I'm having. And it's not my, I don't have the right to be given out about a life that other people would want. And then like that again, I say, I've been through the worst. I'm I'm not going to go there again. It has to get better. So I kind of think of it that way. Even in work and stuff, I always think if I have a crappy day, well, tomorrow can't be any worse. You know, so just keep, try and keep going. But definitely your friends and Leanne is a big support, huge support because she's ridiculously positive, annoyingly so. But she doesn't let you get into yourself either. She doesn't let you feel sorry for yourself. So you need someone like that as well to be like, get a grip. But as I say, it's because of everything that's gone on. I always think oh, my sister would give anything to be here. I'm not going to have a bad day. How's your mom? My mom's never been the same. She's really well, you know, she's, she's a real kind of entity. My mom, she, you know, she doesn't particularly look after herself, loves her cigarettes, loves her glass of wine. Um, like I say, never exercise, nothing. And she's never sick. There's never a bother on her. 
she's a real kind of old school, just has a job to do, can't be, hasn't the time to be sick. Um, and she's really, you know, a pillar of strength in our family. We all rely on my mom, me more so than any of them, I have to say. But um, she's well, she's really well and she's, she's good in herself. Never been the same, you said. Tell me about that. No, she's never been. Like, you know, like I say, it's because I have children now and I just think, I don't know how I would get up and keep going. But it's like, she says it herself, it'll never be the same for her. Life is never the same because a part of her is gone. You know, it's like taking off one of your arms or legs. Your life is never going to be the same. So... You know, I think it is, it's really sad. It's, it's obviously sad for everybody, but I think when a parent loses a child, it's just inevitable that they're going to be different and they're not going to have a, the same amount of joy or the same amount of anything they had before. As much as she's had grandchildren since then, she's had, you know, new grandchildren and lots of good experiences. It's just not the same. There's just something not there. You know, that's always going to be the case. And someone said that, um, I think it could have been Natalie actually who said it is that when people say time's a healer, mm. time's not a healer. No, time is not a healer. It's what you do with the time. So if you want, you know, like I say, it, it was different for me because when my sister passed away, I went on to have children and my life started nearly again. And you know what it's like having kids. It's a love you've never had before. But when something is taken from you, that that has that strength of love. My mom's life didn't start again. She had to carry on with that being taken from her. So there was no kind of second, not second chance, but there was no second journey for her. It was just having to go on the same one, just without something. So it's, it's really tough for, for parents. It's a lot, I would imagine a lot tougher for parents because as I say, we've had, I mean, my nieces and nephews and my own children weren't here at that time, just Chloe was. So it's been loads for us and I'm just... I can imagine it's not the same for mum, as I say. And I asked Ian and his one about the suicide. Is the grief different because it was so quick? I think, I don't know. I, yeah, I think it's, it, the shock is different, but the grief, I think, like I said, it's nearly a comfort because there was no, I mean, I listened to Ian's story as well and I just thought, I don't know how I would feel. And I always, I'm real empathetic with people like that. I always think, how would I feel? You know, there's a, they're, they're very different. And um, the loss is the same and the missing them is the same. But no, I think because it was so instant as a shock as it was, there's comfort to know there was no pain. There was nothing anybody could do. Nobody else was involved. That That is a comfort. And what about your sister and brother? How are they? They're good. Um... They're good. Yeah, my, my brother lives kind of close enough. He lives out in Swords. He's married with his own children. And my sister lives in Tipperary, so she's kind of far from me. Um, but we're really close, you know, and she's she's really, she's so supportive, my sister, you know, and anything. She's real out there. She's a hippie. <laughs> so nothing is, she's never shocked. Nothing, you know, if I said to her, I'm going to start living naked, she'd be like, well, good for you. That's the path you want. You know, she's not a bit judgy woody, you know but they're well like that they're settled with their families and they're well did your mum ever meet anybody my mum has never met anyone since my dad left all them years ago she never wanted to and 
I'm always saying to her, you know, we watch first dates with the glass of wine, me and her. And I always say, we should go on that together, you know, because Leanne's always saying to me, you should yeah. go on that. And I said, can you imagine my face? You know, I have like facial Tourette's when it comes to things. And I said, I couldn't, but it, my mom was like, just wouldn't be bothered. You know, maybe if things had been different, like she hadn't the time and it wasn't a done thing no mobiles or anything then. So it would have been an effort to go out to meet somebody. And she never went to the pubs or anything either. So she's had one love of her life. And what about you? I've had millions. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I suppose I would never say never to anything. It's just not a priority. It's just not something, you know, I never think I would love that. I'd love to have what they have. It's just not a thought that ever comes to my head. Like I'm quite content as I am. I mean, maybe it's a bit of a protective thing, but you know, until the kids got older, I think I have, I have stuff to do. I have to get my own house, you know. How hard is that? Um, you know, I kind of don't try not to dwell on that because when you're on your own, obviously there's only so much, I'm not getting a mortgage today or tomorrow or the next day. Um, but I'm getting all the time with my mom that a lot of people don't. So, you know, I'm not hugely, it's very tough sometimes. And like I say, we argue like a married couple that can't afford to leave. But for the most part, I do feel genuinely really lucky. Um, you know, the kids are so happy there and like they're there with my mom now. And I wouldn't have anything for before because everybody else has their own life. But my mom and I are so together all the time. Like we always go away together and everything. So... I don't, you know, I don't feel I'm missing anything or anything. I don't know. It's just a relationship thing, maybe, but maybe not. And they're equally as fine. Like, I have to say, Alison, I'm glad that Leanne set us up um, to <laughs> sit down and talk. And I'm sure this has probably gone way better than any other setup that you've ever been put on. <laughs> She's always trying to pimp me out. Is she? <laughs> I'd love to see you and your mom on, on first dates. It'd be hilarious. Do you know oh what God, I mean? no, she's so, my mom is so different. Like to me, you know, she's outspoken and everything as well, you know, but she's like, holy Jesus, did you see that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's great to see that you are, like you've had some tragedies in your life and maybe that illness that you had, what was it called? Miller Fishers. Miller Fishers. Maybe that was just everything manifesting that way. I don't know what it was. And then it's gone out of your body now I don't know what it was but I remember even like I'm not small and the guys you know they're coming up to bring you down for your appointments and they were all you know slick hair they're about 20 trying to push me in the wheelchair I was like I am not staying here you're very young to be on that ward you don't mind me saying do you <laughs> so no I don't mind you saying just fucking push me <laughs> do you feel like you're lucky now yeah I feel like I'm extremely lucky with everything. Um, obviously the kids are the, my two biggest accomplishments, but my family and my friends, they just mean everything to me. And I'm so lucky with them because they're always there and I could ring any of them whenever. Now, likewise, they could ring me, but definitely they've been like my kind of rock all the time when that happens. And it's always been like the same people, you know, that I would call on. So yeah, I really do feel lucky. Thanks. And on that note, Alison, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Thanks, Rebecca. I really enjoyed it. Good. Except for a little visitor that um, <laughs> I'll probably explain on a on a story of some sort. Um, but yeah, Alison, thanks again. You're very welcome. So- 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.